This is the Data Privacy Detective. Today, we're going to talk about medical information and how our personal information gets shared and used and the risks that this creates and, and what uh, can be done about it. And with us, uh, my guest today is Jay Barnes. Jay is an attorney at the national law firm of Simmons Hanley Conroy, whose attorneys represent consumers and local governments in mass torts and class actions. And Jay, you've handled uh, class actions and cases against Google, Meta, and other companies in the digital privacy arena. So very pleased and thanks very much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. Well, let's jump right into it, Jay. Now, medical data, uh, let, let, let's start with how it gets uh, collected, digitized, and shared. I'm sure all of our listeners have gone to the doctor, uh, or the hospital, and they fill out a form, maybe it's on a clipboard and all this stuff, what they're allergic to, and so on. And so past operations, all the kinds of pretty sensitive information. And they give the clipboard back, and then they probably don't see it again. And it, it, we're probably familiar, that's because of this federal law called HIPAA. But once the medical, uh, you know, once, well, once that clipboard goes back into the, the office, how does it get digitized and then shared with companies, some of which we probably don't even know are getting, it's getting shared with. Help us understand that as a first step. That's a great question, Joe. I think there are a number of different ways that happens. The first is almost, I think all doctors and uh, certainly any large healthcare provider in this day and age has electronic health records and they place your information into an electronic health record. The other thing in the modern world is Healthcare providers collect patient information and exchange communications with patients over the internet. And so that basic exchange of information where a patient is asking for information about a doctor, a condition, a treatment, payment, or even to make an appointment, oftentimes now occurs through electronic communications. And both when the data goes into an electronic health record. That's obviously a digitization. And when these hospitals and healthcare providers have an internet presence where they exchange communications with their patients, that's another instance where it gets digitized. And in some cases, in many cases, both examples of such data get shared with other companies via internet technologies. Right. And that could be for perfectly understandable reasons. You know, we we connect uh, through a browser. OK, now maybe the browsers, the Google browser, maybe it's Microsoft's Bing. We don't know. And and so that's an example where it's more than the medical professional that is is, is going to have access to the data. We may not think about that, but we would assume that HIPAA will cover our doctor or our hospital. But but does it cover this federal law? Does it does it cover Google and you know, meta and uh, processors of information? I mean, how, how extensive is it? Well, under federal law, it is illegal for any person to knowingly obtain individually identifiable health information relating to an individual without that individual's knowledge or consent. And you talked about the certain browser that's involved. You know, the, the browsers don't collect the information uh, and send it off to others unless there is source code involved from a third-party company like Google or Meta that commands the browser 
to redirect those patient identifiers and communications content to Meta or Google. Um, so yeah, Google, Google and Meta, to the extent they are obtaining individually identifiable health information without authorization, they fall under uh, federal law that prohibits that. So does, you know, we're talking about Google and Meta. So does any other company that is collecting such information without a valid reason under HIPAA or patient consent. Okay. And then there are, uh, you're saying if they don't really know who the, uh, if the company involved, maybe a tech company of some kind, uh, doesn't have access to the individual whose data is at stake, then maybe they're not covered by HIPAA? Well, if if a company is not collecting medical information, yeah, they wouldn't be, they're it not, doesn't a, apply. they're not a HIPAA covered entity. If you're not collecting the information defined as health information under HIPAA, yeah. Obviously, HIPAA is not going to apply. Now, we're recording this in June of 2023. And just recently, Washington state adopted a new statute, a state statute about medical information that that aims to make it uh, ever more private than uh, it otherwise might be. How, how do state laws enter into this picture? Well, Washington state did. And there are certain different privacy regulations in states there's a rule on the federal level. HIPAA has a floor preemption, which means any state that has a medical privacy law must be at least as strict as HIPAA or more strict. And you've seen some states enact more strict laws. So HIPAA covers basically any healthcare provider or any entity contracting with a healthcare provider to help that healthcare provider carry out. And we, if I may, we call them covered entities then under HIPAA. Is that right? Covered entities is the word. And if you're a covered entity or work for a covered entity and you are exchanging communications with patients relating to medical records, appointments, doctors, conditions, treatments, uh, payments, anything relating to that patient care, that mm-hmm. is covered under federal law and the common law of every state. I think There's really no doubt about that. What we're seeing now is states like Washington and the Federal Trade Commission are saying not only do healthcare providers have an obligation to protect medical information, so too do non-healthcare providers who provide apps that people use relating to health. So there's a fertility app called Premom that the FTC just entered into a settlement with for pre-moms unauthorized sharing of information about consumers who went to, who use their app. Now that app is not a covered entity, but it's still subject to the FTC, the FTC act. It's still subject to unfair business practices act of every state. It's still subject to common law invasions of privacy claims. And it certainly involved very sensitive information about uh, women's health care and uh, their rights to uh, ask questions about uh, pregnancy and how they should deal with it. That's right. I think it's fair to say, look, no one signed up for any of this. Let's just be blunt. No one, si- no one who goes to exchange a communication with their health care provider at a property that their health care provider encourages them to go to signed up to have their information redirected to Google or Meta or any other third-party marketing company. And the same is true for these apps, the the apps that are clearly health-related but aren't healthcare providers. The same is true for them. 
there, I, there's no one who signed up for pre-mom who did so thinking, yes, pre-mom, I want you to share all of my health information that you get with as many third parties as you can sell it to. Yeah, no like the did. bounty hunters in Texas who may file uh, <laughs> Well, let, let, let's get a little deeper into this. I mean, you've dealt with uh, big tech companies. I don't want you to get into all the details of any of your cases, but how have you seen a big tech, uh, I'll, I'll call it, uh, handling medical data? I'm sure they don't really want to get sued. They don't want to be fined by the government. But how do you see an evolution of how they're dealing with medical data? I think that the big tech companies treat medical data the same way that they treat data received from a website selling shoes. Now, you know, let me give you an example. Everyone has had this experience, right? You go look at a pair of shoes on one website, and then those shoes stalk you everywhere you go on the internet. I'm sure you've had that experience. Maybe it's not right, shoes, through uh, else, personalized right? advertising, right? Very annoying. Yes. Right. So that's funny sometimes with the shoe example, and maybe it's a little bit annoying, but these companies, these big data companies do the same thing with healthcare information. And so rather than just getting stalked by the shoes, a person can be stalked by a healthcare provider across multiple different websites or a pharmaceutical company across multiple different websites. That's another thing a lot of people don't realize is pharmaceutical companies are covered by some state laws that basically apply the same or similar rules as HIPAA. So in California, the California Medical Confidentiality of Medical Information Act covers pharmaceutical companies just as it covers healthcare providers and says those pharmaceutical companies can't give out patient data to third parties without the patient's authorization. Good point. Well, in the, there certainly are benefits to the sharing of uh, public health data, not to invade the privacy of those involved, but to understand how a pandemic operates or what we can do about uh, catching cancer earlier and so on. So there certainly are benefits to the sharing of, of medical information. And yet, there certainly are privacy concerns here. You've enunciated them very well. So how do you see this eventually being balanced? I'll, I'll use that word in a way that, that respects people's privacy and yet provides the benefits that can come from uh, massing a, a database of medical information for public health purposes. Well, I think you're right. You kind of put it in two buckets there, right? So the first bucket are these impermissible uses, which are marketing uses and monetization of patient information that can be tied back to the patients. That's the impermissible bucket, broad impermissible bucket. And, and let me ask you on that. What's the key thing here? To give the consumer the choice or do we build it into the, uh, the, architect, the IT architect? I think there's a couple different things going on. The first is that the data used for research purposes, you know, HIPAA has an exception for de-identified data. Good there's point. Pseudonymized or anonymized data, we might call it. Well, I, it's interesting. Yes. We'll call it de-identified data. De-identified, meaning that no one can really say, oh, this is John Smith's data. Yeah. I, and the reason I hesitate is there is a there is really no such thing as pseudonymous data the way that these big data companies operate. But there's a way to de-identify it pursuant to HIPAA. Up front. So if you have yeah, de-identification. So it can't be uh, uh, reverse engineered. Right. Right. Which takes a lot more doing than what the big tech companies do to claim that it's pseudonymous. It's When big tech companies say something pseudonymous, it's 
there's there's a famous uh, white paper called "There's No Such Thing as as Pseudonymous Data" when it comes to big tech companies that was published about a decade ago. But the other thing that you you mentioned is notice and actual consent. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, you know. Patients don't want their individual health information going to Meta or Google for uh, marketing purposes for any use unrelated to their health. But if you provide patients with adequate notice and the opportunity to opt out and tell them, look, your data is going to be de-identified so we can help solve some public health problems, as long as that's done, as long as there's true de-identification, and there's actually a notice, consent, and opt-out available. That's the way to do it to get those public health benefits. Yeah, that's no, that's a that's a great point, Jay. And uh, you know, I think U.S. companies may want, and the U.S. government may want to look at uh, what France has done. France has built a medical database, purely optional for French people. But that way, if you're in a car wreck and you need an emergency blood transfusion, they can, if you've consented, that's in a database that the French government uh, controls and will not share with people uh, other than on a de-identified basis. And it, it has saved lives. But but it's all based on that choice, isn't it? It is absolutely based on that choice because what, what these privacy cases are about aren't just that, hey, someone got this data who wasn't supposed to. That that obviously is part of this. But the another big part is you took the freedom of choice away from the person. And in this country, the freedom to choose who gets and doesn't get your information is a really big deal. And it's I think it goes to the core of what it means to be an American. It is implicit throughout the federal constitution. It's implicit in another and express in a number of state constitutions. And no one signed up for this system that involves the constant surveillance of what they're doing online. Well, let me uh, ask you two final questions here. One about business, for businesses and one for individuals. What advice do you have to businesses beyond they should, of course, comply with the law? But how does any business in the in, in the digitized space, the IT space, what, what's your advice to them about uh, how to do this right? So if you are a HIPAA or a CMI covered entity and you have a web property, Take Meta and Google off of your web properties and look very, very closely at any other third party to whom who is collecting information from your web properties. And that's done through, I assume, data sharing agreements, which become very common in the space and, and, and otherwise, right? Well, yes, and it can be done through the adoption and deployment of certain, certain technologies. Uh, and any healthcare uh, executive should have an understanding of what their relationships and what technologies they're deploying. If you're a non-HIPAA covered entity, you're still you still have legal obligations. You can't be dishonest with your consumers. If you're collecting particularly sensitive information, I think even if your privacy policy is honest, you might still have some liability for sharing that information. Because let's face it, no one reads these privacy policies and everyone knows that. And there are some types of information that may be sensitive enough that it doesn't matter what a privacy policy says. So it kind of depends, right? If you're a covered entity, very strict rules. If you're not a covered entity, rules still apply, 
but it's not as um, it's not as strict or cut and dry as it is for HIPAA covered entities. And beyond that, any company can get hacked, so you better be careful about that. Well, let me turn to individuals. And to close us out here, Jay, well, what advice do you have for all of us, really, about our own personal data? What do we do? Are we hopeless? Should we spend hours and hours opting out of this, that, and the other thing? What do we do? Well, it's it's really hard, and I don't I know you. No one's going to like this answer, but it's really hard for a couple of reasons. First, it's really hard for a person or a patient to figure out what their healthcare provider is doing or how their data is flowing about in this ecosystem. The second thing is you said, oh, can we opt out? Can we do this? Can we do that? Most of those opt-outs don't work. Big data companies have devised their systems that it is essentially impossible to avoid them. So for example, you've heard of third-party cookie blockers. Everyone's heard of third-party cookie blockers, right? Right. Well, Meta and Google and other big players in the data industry have designed their tools to work around third-party cookie blockers. So even if you try to stop them, you can't because they'll work around it. And for example, if you're going to use, you want to sign into a hospital patient portal, you have to enable first-party cookies for security reasons. Yes. Well, Facebook and Google track people using first-party cookies now, including cookies associated with healthcare providers. So if you want to use your patient portal, there's no way around it. In fact, I was in a case where against a big tech company who admitted to the court that if you wanted to avoid it, the way you could do it was pick up the old landline and call your provider on the landline rather than use the technology that every American uses every day. So I guess the you want to avoid it, don't go on the internet at all. Don't be a normal consumer in the modern world. You know, there's a Supreme Court case actually where a majority said, look, internet usage is a an essential part of modern society. They did that in the analysis of uh, Fourth Amendment claim, but it certainly applies here. And there's, there's really no way to avoid it. So that's a long-winded answer to I don't know that there's much you can do to avoid it, which goes to no one consents to this. If you don't have an option, there's no consent. Very interesting. You're using the cookie example. And of course, it'd be like eating a macaroon without being, if you have a tree nut allergy and not being told there's almonds in the thing, it can send you to the hospital. Well, Jay, that's not a very optimistic note to end on, but uh uh, for all of our listeners, of course, uh, you can, uh, for example, turn off uh, GPS tracking if you're driving to the, uh, the the local Planned Parenthood outfit. You know, there's things you can do, but the advice uh, Jay has given us is is, is important. Uh, short of just getting off the internet completely, one must watch this. But if you think your privacy has been invaded, there there could well be recourse. Jay, any last thoughts for our listeners? No, I think this is a really important issue. Medical privacy, the privacy in our country is really important going forward. And I'm glad for the opportunity to come on your show and speak about it. Well, thanks uh, once again, Jay. Great tour of this really important subject. And as always, dear listeners, I will remind us all, protecting your personal privacy begins with you.